everybody. Welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka soon to be the newest addition to the Girl Dad Club. Ethan, how you doing today? And once again, congratulations. I'm so happy for you and Aiden. Thank you. Um, I'm doing really good. I'm tired. I've been up since like 730. I had a volleyball game. I had to help coach. But uh, I'm doing really good. Yeah, they working you today. We got a cool show for you guys today, though. We are going to, of course, look at some of the latest moves. It was been a biggie, busy week. For NFL transactions from Jalen Smith to Stephon Gilmore. And we're going to talk about those, of course, in addition to make our picks for this week's slate of games. Sports Illustrated has released its top 10 players in the NBA ahead of the 2021 uh, season. And we are going to give our picks with that. And then we are going to close out the show talking about if we are on the cusp of seeing Allen Iverson become an NBA coach. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out thexreport.net. I repeat, thexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow X Report writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So, all right, let's start this bad boy off like we start off every show. And let's talk about our college football player spotlight, who this week we're putting the spotlight on USC junior linebacker Drake Jackson, who has really been a force this season. He's been one of the top linebackers in the nation, especially in terms of draft talk. And so far has this season 17 tackles, three sacks, a forced fumble, and an interception. We all know that all teams can get as much help on defense as they can get. So what team do you think would be best suited to add a linebacker of his skill set? kind of rung the uh the familiar bell i really almost said the chiefs just because the chiefs defense is bad but i'm gonna go in a different direction i must actually say the las vegas raiders i know that they're no longer undefeated but their defense has been solid but it's clear that their linebacking core has been a bit of a rough spot for them. Corey Littleton is solid, but I do think that they could definitely benefit from having speed at that position. Um, also, another example is, I mean, while it's great to have, um, sorry, my brain is off, KJ Wright, it's good to also get some youth in there as well. And I think that bringing in a player like Drake Jackson, especially someone who is in that West Coast area who I'm sure they've already seen before um, in his prior years before they moved to Las Vegas, I think that he would be a really nice fit for that defense. But all right, let's go ahead and look back at week four. Talk about what's going on. Starting with Thursday night football, Bengals beat the Jags 24 to 21. Uh, the Giants got their first win of the season in overtime against the Saints 27 to 21. Bills blow out Texans 40 to 0. Bears 
defeat the Lions 24-14. Baltimore beats Broncos 23-7. Bucks win Sunday Night Football 19-17 in Tom Brady's return game. Uh, Chiefs get back on track 42-30 against the Eagles. Uh, Cowboys in the Panthers undefeated streak 36-28. Browns defense carries them against the Vikings 14-7. Uh, Colts get their first win of the year 27-17. Jets shock the Titans in overtime 27-24. Uh, Washington wins against the Falcons 34-30. Cardinals beat the Rams in an NFC West showdown 37-20. Uh, Seattle beats 49ers 28-21. Green Bay Packers defeat the Steelers 27-17. And then the Chargers take the lead in the AFC West after beating the Raiders in Monday Night Football 28-14. I went 10-5 and, and Ethan went 8-7. and Here are some of the biggest injury news to come out this past week. Starting with one that actually just happened. George Kittle is now reportedly on IR after suffering a calf injury, which normally you'd be like, okay, maybe it won't be too bad. But as we all know, Trey Lance is going to be the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers for the foreseeable future after Jimmy G suffers a calf injury of his own and is out for the next few weeks. Wide receiver Will Fuller for the Miami Dolphins is put on IR with a broken finger. Bucks lose cornerback Carlton Davis to IR with a quad injury. And Bears running back David Montgomery is out for the next four to five weeks with a knee sprain. Let's talk San Francisco really quickly. Ethan, losing Jimmy G was kind of expected, but how hard do you think it is going to be for Trey Lance without having George Kittle in that offensive lineup? I think it's going to be extremely difficult just given the fact that George Kittle has been a focal part of their offense for these past couple of years. Yes, they've always been able to um, adapt when he's injured because he's an often-time injured player, but given the fact that they have a completely different quarterback on the center and the fact that Ricky, I think it'll be incredibly difficult because we all know that a lot of times Ricky tight ends, they tend to um, develop key relationships with tight ends. Ricky quarterbacks develop key relationships with tight ends and form that security blanket for those QBs. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you, especially with it being a tight end like George Kittle, who has a very strong argument to be considered the best tight end in the league. I mean, it's very difficult to find a tight end outside of, you know, Travis Kelsey and maybe one could argue Darren Waller, who has the talent level that he has. So the fact that uh, Trey Lance won't have him as a security blanket for at least the next couple of weeks is going to be very tough for this offense. But I think it's also going to be kind of a, a bit of a trial by fire to see what you really have in Trey Lance. Because, I mean, he did do some solid things against Seattle, and I'm interested to see what more he can do with more time under center. But, yeah, I do think that is going to be a pretty tough blow. All right, but Ethan, from the last week's slate of games, what were your top three takeaways of week four? Top three takeaways are, I believe that Ezekiel Elliott is one of the biggest experts in the NFL. I think when he has good games, the Cowboys are dominating. When he doesn't, they probably will win games, but it'll be in way more difficult of a fashion. Um, number two, I think this was the week of the rookie quarterbacks actually turning the tide a little bit. I hate to say it, that Wilson had a good game against my Titans. Even though it was a loss, Trevor Lawrence had a good game against the Bengals. Um, Justin Fields was able to get his first win as a starting quarterback. I think so 
definitely be giving my thoughts on Russ in a minute. But yeah, um, as we all know, my takeaways can be found on the Export website. I give takeaways for every team. So you guys can find that. But yeah, I definitely feel you on the uh, rookie quarterback. Another one that I think is worth mentioning is Mac Jones. I think that Mac Jones really had a tremendous game against the uh, Bucks, especially considering how much, I don't know if you watched that full game, but that man was on his back a lot. They were pressuring the hell out of him, but he still made it through. But all right, let's talk the uh, players we were most impressed by, disappointed by, and our rookies of the week. Starting with me, um, in terms of who I was impressed by, I'm actually going to go with the unit. I'm going to say the uh, Cardinals defense. Honestly, before the season, I thought that the Cardinals defense was going to be a bit of a liability, but they really carried their weight, especially in these recent weeks. I mean, against the Rams, they had a great game. Before this game, we saw uh, Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup line it up against everybody, but not the not the uh, Cardinals. Held them to just 20 points, which I want to say is the lowest they had in the season. Made them look human and really forced mistakes that just they were not making prior. And I think that just overall, it was a really impressive performance by the Cardinals and honestly I know that we talked about that Titans win a lot and how good their defense was but honestly I think I'm more impressed with this performance just because this game really could have gotten out of hand so I'm gonna say I'm really impressed with the Cardinals defense um, for me I'm gonna say I'm really impressed by your by your boy Joe Burrow um, he's showing that in year two even though he suffered a horrific injury in his rookie year He's showing that he can still be one of the great quarterbacks of the future in the game he played this past week. It's always good to hear some praise from my boy. And he has a very interesting matchup against one of the greatest quarterbacks of our generation. So hopefully he can keep it up. All right, moving on to I'm disappointed by. It's not even necessarily a player. I'm saying Bill Belichick. I feel like the fact that they didn't go for it on what I believe was, what, fourth and three you're as not only are you asking a lot of Nick Folk to make a 56-yard kick in poor weather conditions, but also your offense is hot. I know that Richard Sherman at that moment was like the Bucks' best corner, but he was getting worked all game. He did not have any good plays, and really the Buccaneers secondary was struggling. And I feel like Mac Jones, especially with the flow that he had gotten into on that game, could have got them that first down and potentially gotten them to win that game. So I'm disappointed in Bill Belichick for not being a bit more aggressive. In the postgame press conference, he said he never thought about going for it, but I think especially knowing who you're going up against, this should have been the time for you to be like, you know what, I'm going to get confident. We're going to go for it, and we're going to make it work. So I was very disappointed that Bill didn't do it. Um, if you know me, you should know exactly where I'm going. Which is I'm totally going, fair. I'm going with the Tennessee Titans defense. Like, I completely understand, you know, they can court the and get 100 yards a season. It's a red game. He's asking, in my opinion, a talented wide receiver. But to just implode and let Zach Wilson have his best game of the season, a man that's thrown multiple interceptions, I think in the, first, the previous games before that one, I got to go again with the D because it's like, in order for us to be the team that we're saying that we want to be, those are games that are gimme games that we just automatically have to win and there's no foregone conclusion, foregone thought. 
we lost, and I find you primarily because I can't really hold it against the offense because the offense was uh, AJ Brown and Julio, and we Derrick Henry had a good game, so I have to go with the defense. And I think something else worth mentioning: you talked about Zach Wilson threw a lot of picks um, in games before, but also he was getting sacked a lot. I think that. The Titans only had one sack against him on Sunday, and I think that since he has so much time to throw, that also played a big role in you guys' defensive performance. Um, all right, so my rookie of the week, this is another first-timer, but I'm going Mac Jones. Honestly, if you ask me on Sunday night, he was the best quarterback on the field. I know he had that early interception, but really that was kind of more so on the receiver. And he also, like I said, was getting ragged and tagged by the Bucks defense, but he still played a really good game, 31 of 40 passing, 275 yards, two touchdowns. I think that if I'm being honest, I don't think that any other rookie quarterback, based off what I have seen so far, would have been able to come into this game and make it as competitive as Mac Jones did. And I think that Mac really showed that the he is the future of the quarterback He's a future quarterback of the New England Patriots, so I was really impressed by his performance. Yeah, for me, I'm in a complete agreement with you with Mac Jones. He showed poise, especially given the situation that he was thrust into of facing Tom Brady, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. Being on his, being on the Patriots, everyone knows it's all a former thing. So I gotta go with Mac. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to week five. Let's talk some league moves. First things first, New York Jets give defensive end John Franklin Myers a four-year $55 million contract with $30 million guaranteed. Congratulations to him. And then let's get to some bigger news, or at least I know it's going to hit us a bit more personally considering who it is, but the Houston Texans have released wide receiver Anthony Miller. Um, just to stop, put a pin in it right now, a mill possibly about to be on his third team in the last what six months. What team do you think should look at Anthony Miller? Um, I would say the Cleveland Browns, honestly. Like I know that they have Juice, they have Odell, and I also know that um, if I'm not mistaken, Josh Nash is injured right now. Yeah. I think that would be a really solid fit. I'm going to keep it in the South, and I'm going to say the New Orleans Saints. I think that what we're seeing is that while, you know, Marquez Callaway has had some solid games and Jawan Jennings, et cetera, um, but realistically, it is, it's been tough. None of the receivers have really separated themselves, and I think that the more bodies you can get in that receiving room, at the very least just to make it more competitive, the better. I think that Emil is going to have a chip on his shoulder, and plus he'll be in a much better quarterback situation as opposed to Davis Mills with Jameis or Taysom Hill. So I think that the Saints would be a really good option for him. All right, continuing on with some receiver moves. Uh, the Dolphins have traded wide receiver Jaquim Grant to the Bears for a 20-23 six-round pick. And all right, let's talk to the heavy hitters. Um, on Wednesday, it was announced that the Dallas Cowboys were releasing linebacker Jalen Smith, and you and I both talked about it. He's not going to be a free agent for long, and he was not. He signed a one-year deal to join the Green Bay Packers. How do you like this move for the Packers? I think it's a great move. I think that one of the um, pieces for that team that they make is going to be the word inside linebacker. Like, you know that they have the Darius Smith, you know that they have Preston Smith, and they do an excellent job 
you get that. And he's, he, he isn't the player that he used to be in the past, obviously, but I think that he's a serviceable piece that can help the Packers out. Yeah, I agree. I think that, honestly, had it not been for the big contract he was given by Dallas, he probably would have ended up being traded. But, I mean, I still would consider him in the top 25, top 30 linebackers overall in this league. I just think the problem is it was too many mouths to feed in Dallas. And I think that especially when you have a player like Michael Parsons who can do a bit of everything, the need for an overpaid linebacker, it becomes a little bit less. So for the Packers, I think that the fact that they're able to get him, and I think they only have to pay him like 700000 this season, and the uh, what's it called? The Cowboys have to pay the rest of his contract, which is over $7 mil. I think that's a steal. Um, we look at what the Packers do well, and what they do well is – they rush the passer well, but when you kind of go to run stop in and their secondary problems really come. So I think that this was a great signing. Continuing on with great moves, it it was a weird day. What was this, Thursday? Because first you hear, oh, Stephon Gilmore has been released by the Patriots. And then hours later, no, he wasn't released. and said he was traded to the Panthers. And not for a one or a two or even a third round pick, for a 2023 sixth round pick. So, essentially, it was a steal for the Panthers. Looking at the Panthers' defense with some of their additions this past season and offseason of players like Stephon Gilmore, um, Hassan Reddick, and guys they already have, they're like Dante Jackson, Jeremy Chin, Brian Burns. Realistically, at full health, where would you rank this Panthers' defense? Uh, for real, I probably would just put them in top 10, maybe somewhere like 6 or 7, because they have guys that can stop the run, in my opinion. They also have guys that can rush the passer. And they have, once you get um, Stacey Horn back healthy and you add him with Stephon Gilmore, you have guys that can defend the outside. You have guys on the perimeter that can make players on the ball and pass coverage. And a lot of teams, they don't have, they have one or the other. They don't have all three in my opinion. And I think that they do have all three back covered once everyone gets back healthy. Yeah, I agree. I think that this definitely could catapult him into top ten range. Um, I mean, I'm happy you mentioned J C Horn. Yeah, he's gonna be out for the next few months, but I mean he was having a really promising rookie year. We know just how good Dante Jackson is, and I think that with Stephon Gilmore getting there, when they get healthy, he'll go back to his natural position of being in the slot, which is going to be a big help. I mean, I just think that right now the Panthers have really built their defense up in the right way, and they're definitely becoming a unit that's to watch. And truthfully, this season, if you were to ask me, I'd probably make the argument that they had the best defense already in the NFC South. And I think that now we're really starting to see more evidence of that becoming true. Now it's really all about putting the proof in the pudding and seeing what they can do. But overall, it was a tremendous move for them to get Stephon Gilmore for that cheap. Like, it's wild that that's all it costs. And it's not, mind you, it's not even a pick for this upcoming draft. It's a pick for next year's draft. So it's it's pretty interesting. But all right, let's go ahead and talk some coach drama because coaches have drama too. Following the Baltimore Ravens 23-7 loss, I mean, victory over the Denver Broncos. Head coach of the Broncos, Vic Fangio, had some interesting things to say about Baltimore and their decision to go for the uh, 100-yard rushing record as opposed to just taking a knee. He said um, things along the lines of, 
I thought it was kind of bullshit, but I expected it from them and said that Baltimore did not prioritize keep they prioritized keeping the rushing record over player safety. John Harbaugh, aka one of my favorite coaches in the league, said didn't put too much stock into what Fangio said, but said you're throwing the ball in the end zone with 10 seconds left. I don't know that there's a 16-point touchdown that's going to be possible right there. So that didn't have anything to do with winning the game. So, Ethan, whose side are you on, Coach Fangio or Coach Harbaugh's? Uh, me personally, I think I'm on Coach Harbaugh's side. Because the way I see it is, you play the game to the final whistle regardless of what's the score. And I understand people can be upset about the way that they do things, but that's how I see just play and don't care about the consequences. Like, you obviously want to protect your players, but given the fact that none of the players involved get hurt, you just play and don't care what other people think. I think it's – I'm on Harbaugh's side, not even just because he's Coach Harbaugh, but it's – it's kind of, kind of stupid to say something along the lines of wanting to protect player safety, but then you proceed to try to score a touchdown with less than two minutes in the game. If you cared that much about player safety, then you'd be a hypocrite because like Harbaugh said, there's no such thing as a 16-point touchdown. So you're really just trying to drive downfield for what? For like a moral victory? So I feel like that's what hurts his argument more. If he would have just took knees and then said that stuff about – Baltimore not want to protect player safety. Okay, cool. But if anything, you sound like a hypocrite because you were still trying to score a touchdown before Baltimore literally called one run play. So I'm on Coach Harv's side. But continuing on with Coach Drama, we got to talk Urban Meyer because it just seems without fail every week he is finding a way to mess something up. And this past week, he is brought back in the news after the Jags – uh, Thursday night game against the Bengals in which after the game Myers did not travel back with the team after the game and instead stayed in Ohio he said he and his grandkids were at a restaurant when a nearby table wanted pictures he said they tried to pull me onto the dance floor screwing around and I should have left but that's not what happened as we I'm sure you've all seen pictures were taken of him with people there was a video of a girl dancing on him while he was sitting it honestly looks pretty kind of bad, and apparently he has lost even more credibility in the locker room that reportedly he didn't have that much to begin with. Uh, Sports Illustrated Mike Silver on the situation said, one player said Meyer has zero credibility in that stadium. Um, another player said, uh, we looked at him like WTF after his apology. Right when he left, everyone started dying laughing, and he knew it. Two questions. One do you feel like Urban Meyer will be able to rebuild his credibility? And then two, do you feel like the criticism of Meyer is warranted or do you think everything's being blown out of proportion? Um, to answer your first question, I think he can't build his credibility, especially as an NFL head coach. I think he, he can build it. He's a way... He's a more successful college head coach. Like, if he were to leave the Jaguars this season and let's say go to USC because it's a job, it's a key job that a lot of people are talking about that's available right now. I feel like he could go to USC, 
win games and gain his credibility back. But if you were to stay an NFL head coach, he won't get his credibility back because I don't think he's going to win games. I think he's going to continue to lose because his coaching style and the way that he does things, it doesn't work. It's not successful in the NFL. He, he loves to motivate his players by spirit. And, like, you can't, you can't motivate guys that are making more money than you as a, as a coach with fear. Like, these guys probably are looking at you like, bro, I'm a grown man with a family. I'm not afraid of you. Why are you trying to threaten me with all of these things? And also, the thing with the NFL is, is a coach can, I mean, a player can request the trade. And we're in a day and age where when players request trades, teams make those things happen. So, I don't think so. And as far as the second question, can you repeat it again? I forget. Do you feel like this situation is being blown out of proportion, or do you think that the attention it's getting is warranted? I would. I think it's warranted simply because he is a he is a head coach. Because the reality of it is, that if it was a player, it would be getting the same amount of attention, if not more. Especially depending on what names attached with said player. I think it's warranted because it's like I want the head coaches and people in higher up positions to be held accountable the same way that they want to hold the players accountable. Because let's say, let's say if it was Odell and it was a video of Odell being danced on by a young lady and him not turning her down, things of that nature. It'll be on every sports, sports radio show, sports news show, and whatsoever, and people bashing him. And now, I'm guessing because he's been such a bad coach and he's just been so notable these couple of weeks, he's finally getting the repercussions. So I want, I think it's warranted. So to answer the first question of his credibility, I think that the one way to get credibility is what most people can do in all sports, and that's winning games. If you start winning games, this is a thing of the past. This is literally just a blip in the season because let's say they start winning four straight games. Nobody's going to be talking about this anymore. Nobody's going to care because the Jags are successful, and then it's going to go from Urban Meyer should have stayed in college. Urban Meyer doesn't know what he's doing. Urban Meyer doesn't take his job seriously to wow. Urban Meyer is really turning this team around. So winning is always the cure to just about any problem with regards to credibility. But I'm going to differ with you about I, – I do think it's kind of getting blown out of proportion. I think that if anything, as a player, I would be more upset that he stayed. Because if you, I'm willing to bet that if you any other NFL player was like, hey, coach, I know we got to head back to Jacksonville, but is it cool if I stay in Ohio for a bit? The answer is going to be an immediate no. You got to head back home. And so I, I find that more, that's more upsetting to me, the fact that he did not leave with his team and kind of put himself above team as opposed to, um, what happened in the video because I feel like one it's more of a personal thing and two let's be honest it's kind of like the pot calling the kettle black you mentioned that if it was Odell people would be talking about it I don't think they would just because we kind of expect this out of athletes we kind of expect athletes to go out and dance with other women and just kick it and it's not that big of a deal I think that honestly if it wasn't Urban Meyer if it was their old coach Doug Marone doing this I don't think it would get too much attention but because it is Urban Meyer and because he has has been struggling with this position I think that any reason to add more flack to him 
is what's gonna make it more media worthy. But truthfully, I don't think it's that deep. Like I said, personally, I'm more upset that he didn't leave with the team. That upsets me more than whatever he stayed for. But that's just me. But all right, let's go ahead and play Believable or Buffoonery, starting with Justin Herbert. Now, numerous people around the league have heard that the Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores preferred that the team select Justin Herbert over Tunga Tuavailonga. Tuavailonga. Gosh, I like, act like I don't know how to say his last name. Um, in the 2020 draft, as we all know, Tua went five. And um, Herbert went six to the Chargers. Believable or buffoonery? The Dolphins are regretting taking Tua over Justin Herbert. Believable. I mean, I think that I think it's believable because yes, the Dolphins have been winning games, but they're winning games because of their defense. They are winning games because of Tua. And you look at the Chargers, and the Chargers are in the position they're in now. A lot of it has to do with their offense and what Justin Herbert is doing on the field. And going into it, I think a lot of people, I, I remember a lot of people, it was a question of who was the better quarterback between Tua and Justin Herbert. And yes, I do remember that in college, Tua was the better talent. Tua had the better stats than Justin Herbert. It was, a lot of people were dumbfounded. By the way, Justin Herbert was playing in on while he was in Oregon. But, you know, I think that one of the things of it is that he might have gotten some of the some coaching from NFL coaches that helped him out. You know, people forget about player development when it comes down to sports. Like you can take a guy that looks a certain way in college and give him some coaching and give him some developmental time and he can become a completely different player. Like, I understand that, you know, this isn't the NFL that I'm about to reference, but you look at Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard was, he wasn't a superstar player at San Diego State, but you give him some development time in San Antonio, and now he's one of the top players in the NBA um, at this latter portion of his career. So, I definitely think that they are regretting it because I think that Justin Herbert has shown that he could be a quarterback of the future. Whereas Tua, you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I definitely find it believable. Tua just, you, I mean, you pretty much said everything that could be said. Tua, most of the time when the Dolphins were winning games, it was because of his defense. Whereas we're seeing the Chargers are winning games because of Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert has come in and become the undisputed leader of that team, and we have yet to really see that with Tua. Do I think that... Justin Herbert makes the Dolphins like an exceptional playoff team. I don't know, but they definitely would be have a better offense. So, yeah, I definitely find that believable. Talking about offensive players, let's talk about a rookie this year, the reigning AFC, well, reigning rookie of the month. Jamar Chase talked about the rookie of the year race and said, I don't feel like I'm in competition with anyone. I feel like they're in competition with me. So, believable or buffoonery? Jamar Chase is the undisputed leader in the offensive rookie of the year race because for me it's clear it's definitely believable. Yeah, for me it's believable because typically this is a quarterback award, but all the quarterbacks, all the rookie quarterbacks recently, except for this past weekend, they haven't been great. We haven't had a explosive rookie running back to show up, and none of the other rookie receivers are making like game changing plays. The only person that's been kind of dynamic from a rookie standpoint on the offensive side of the ball has been Jamar 
good game. If they're able to consistently play up to that level, then it might change. But for right now, it's definitely Jamal Chase's award. Yeah, I mean, not even withstanding just winning Rookie of the Month. I mean, he has been the most consistent performer out of all the offensive rookies. And I'm not even just going to mention quarterbacks, but, I mean, as far as receivers, Devontae Smith, I believe, had a 100-plus yard game last week. But other than that, he kind of just been so-so. Najee Harris has been straight, but he really hasn't been impacting his team in terms of getting wins. Um, same could be said for Jalen Waddle, who has really lacked a lot of that appeal. Same for Kyle Pitts. Jamar Chase has been the most consistent offensive performer, realistically, you could say the most consistent rookie so far. And I think that it's just hard to really find a way to really nitpick at what he had to say because he's not wrong. Nobody else has really made a strong enough argument. This was probably the easiest picking offensive rookie of the month ever just because of what he's been able to do. So, yeah, I'm 100% in agreement with Jamar Chase. They're in, a, they're in a competition with him. He's doing what he needs to do, and clearly it's working. All right, speaking of working, Justin Fields got his first NFL win this past week against the Lions, and you know what? It was bound to happen eventually, but it was officially announced that he was going to be taking over as the starting quarterback, or at least for the time being. Uh, Matt Nagy said this, We've been patient with this. We've grown with him. We're proud of Justin. Believable or buffoonery, naming Justin Fields as the Bears starting quarterback has saved Matt Nagy's job. Oh, no. He's out of there. I feel like he's out of there at the end of this season regardless because I think – you know, naming Justin Fields, it will help that offense. But I still don't think that they're going to win enough games to save his job. For one, they're in a tough division with the Panthers leading that division. And the Vikings are a better team than their record indicates. So I don't think that he's going to – their moves is going to save his job. Yeah, I'm definitely in agreement with you. I am calling buffoonery. I think that – because truthfully, Justin Fields, even last week, Justin Fields didn't play the biggest role in them winning that game. It was De uh, David Montgomery before he went out and their defense making some solid plays. It's going to take time for Justin to really develop into being that game-changing player. You can't really expect that just out of the first few games of his rookie year. So, yeah, I'm calling buffoonery. I think that Matt Nagy has really for lack of a better term, shit the bed too many times to really save it. Unless they go on some ridiculous run and make the playoffs, I think that's the only way that he stays put. But other than that, I think he's gone. Continuing on with quarterbacks, let's talk Baker Mayfield, who apparently uh, said that he has suffered a partially torn labrum in his left shoulder, but instead of getting surgery and risking missing time, he's going to play through it. Instead, he's going to be wearing a shoulder harness that he said should not impact his play. But, you know, as a quarterback, your shoulder is going to play a big role, even if it is your non-throwing shoulder. Believable or buffoonery, Baker Mayfield is making the right move playing through his labrum injury. Um, given the fact that I think this is Baker's contract year, I think he's making the right decision. But the decision could also turn incredibly wrong incredibly fast. Because if his play does um, drop, because Baker's been falling out, honestly, in my opinion, throughout the early part of this season. But if his play drops, people aren't going to be like, where he was playing, he was playing injured. They're going to be like, well, he wasn't playing good. 
might give him the benefit of the doubt, but we know how physical fans can be. They're just going to look at the numbers and the stats that he puts up and it's like, well, he didn't have a great year this year. Why should we pay him X amount of money? But I also understand that if you go, if you get surgery and you don't play, a lot of people will look at him and be like, well, he isn't tough. He isn't trying to put it all out there for the team and put the team first, especially in a year like this year because Cleveland, they have a legitimate chance of not only winning the AFC South, but making a deep playoff run. And Baker Mayfield is being a critical part of all of that. So it's like a, it's a glass half empty, glass half full scenario in my opinion. I'm going to disagree with you. I think that he's making the wrong move for a couple of reasons. One, I don't know if you saw that Vikings game, but he played terrible. Like, it was – I think it was what? Some – I think he had at least, like, 17 incompletions. Yeah, no, it was – Yeah, no, it was bad. His – his accuracy has been really bad, and I feel for Odell because, like, he was overthrowing Odell. He had a few touchdowns, even a few touchdowns to him that were just bad passes. It, it hasn't been pretty for uh, Baker. And truthfully, I don't think that Baker is a cog enough in that team to keep the machine going. It's that run game. And I don't know if you watched the Vikings game, but it was really their defense and their run game that kept them afloat. Baker was just a non-factor. He did not do enough to really help his team out. He got carried. And I think that that's kind of been the story of Baker Mayfield where if the play-action game is going, he'll be able to make plays downfield. But if that run game can't go or if his defense is not carrying its weight – it's going to hurt him. And I think that Baker, because this is a contract year, I would be a bit more cautious because it takes one bad hit and then it doesn't matter. You could be out significant weeks as opposed to just a couple of weeks if you were to get the surgery. And I understand he wants to try to play. He wants to be out there for his team. But you got to think of yourself because if I would rather get the surgery and then have the – let's say I get the surgery and the team is losing without me on the field. That looks good to a front office like, well, man, maybe we do need Baker as opposed to you mess up your shoulder. One, that's going to devalue your monetary gain just because people don't know how you're going to look coming off a shoulder injury. And then two, it's going to make it harder to really bounce back because you are dealing with that injury. You may be playing a bit scared or at least more protective of yourself. So, no, if I'm Baker, I wouldn't want to risk it, especially because your offensive line isn't as playing as well as it had been. I wouldn't risk it. But, all right, last piece of believable buffoonery. We're talking to Christian McCaffrey, who we don't often hear too much about, but he has strong thoughts on Thursday night football games. He said, you get two days to recover, you hop on a plane, you get in a hotel, and then you go out and play in a football game. It's really tough, but it is what it is. It's tough. It's part of the game, and it's obviously frustrating. He also added that he doesn't think that the NFL needs Thursday night football games. And if you remember, that the Thursday night game that the Panthers had against the Texans is when he suffered his hamstring injury. Believable or buffoonery, the NFL should get rid of Thursday night games. I think it is believable because I, don't, I remember listening to a podcast um, maybe two years ago where I think they said that a majority of the injuries that happen in the NFL happen on Thursday night, simply because it's a shorter, it's just, I don't, I forget, I don't think it's because it's a shorter week, but it's just like a weird timing, where it's like Mondays you get, I feel like Mondays you get extra time to, um, to prepare and get your body ready because you have basically 
week and a day off before the game. But Thursday is a week shorter because you don't get a full week of practice and things of that nature. And honestly, just me being real, like I'm a football fan, I'm down to watch any game that they play, that they put on. But typically the Thursday night games are typically really bad games. Like, I was surprised to see this week that the Seahawks and the Rams are playing on Thursday night simply because I was like, okay, this actually a good matchup that people want to see. Like, no offense to your boy Joe Barrow, but it's like typically you will see stuff like the Bengals and um, Jaguars, and it's like, bro, nobody's going to watch this. So I think they should get rid of it simply because I think it can help players out health-wise and the matchups that they normally have slotted on that, game, on that day are a good matchup. I'm going to say believable as well. Um, I think that the quick turnaround clearly does impact some of the health of players, especially because you get much less time to prepare. It's hard on your body because football is already inherently very difficult to do on a weekly basis, nonetheless not even getting that week. And then sure is the argument of, excuse me, it's the argument of, well, at least you still get 10 more days to prepare for your next game, but still it's tough. And also kind of going to it, I feel like, even if they don't totally get rid of Thursday night games, at least do it for, like, special occasions, like the season opener. That's cool, having that on a Thursday. The uh, Thanksgiving games, that's cool. Or maybe late season games, because you know how week, uh, I guess week 18 now, like pivotal matchups in uh, divisions that really determine playoff standings, having those go be flexed to Sunday night football, that's cool, but I feel like you could also do that with Thursday games. I don't feel like Thursday games are exactly necessary to have every single week. I think that it's better when it's a special occasion type deal as opposed to trying to make it happen every single week. But that's just us. All right, let's make our week five game picks. But first, speaking of Thursday night games, we got to talk about Rams versus Seahawks where my heart literally broke seeing my brother-in-law, Russell Wilson, go out. When I saw it was a finger, I was like, maybe he can come back. Maybe he can play. Nope, that's not the case. Apparently, the Seahawks are bracing for Russell Wilson to miss six to eight weeks with a ruptured tendon in his middle finger. At the very least, he's going to miss a month. So, it means it's Geno time in Seattle. Here are their next opponents for the next four weeks, if, of course, he misses the next four. Next week, they have the Steelers. The week after that, they have the Saints. Then after that, they have the Jags. And then they have a bye week. Right now, they are 2-3. and three. What is Seattle, What are the Seattle Seahawks going to look like without Russell Wilson under center? Be 
run the run game and use play action pass to set up those deep shots. And I know that their defense isn't the greatest of defense, but they might rely a little bit more on their defense than they have in the past. Yeah, I don't think they're really going to have a choice but to rely on their defense more, especially just considering Russ is gone. And we talk about it all the time, but the Seahawks stay afloat because of Russell Wilson. You take Russell Wilson out the equation, it's not going to be a good look. And because he's been an Ironman prior to this game, he had never missed an NFL start. We've never seen Seattle look like what they look like without him in 10 years. And truthfully, I don't think that it's going to look good. I think that, like you said, they have enough talent to beat the Jags. But, like, the Steelers are a hard one to gauge just because the Steelers are a mess right now. And then the Saints are another team that's, like, it's weird to see. Like, I could see them going one and two, and I could easily see them going two and one. But it's it's just going to be weird. Either way, I think that we're really going to show – just see just how impactful Russell Wilson is to this team because if they're really thinking about maybe it's time to go for a rebuild, maybe it's time to blow everything up, this will give you the chance to see if you fit comfortable with your team without Russell Wilson. And so, and honestly, at this point, if y'all want to trade my brother-in-law to a better situation, I'm cool with that because Seattle is just letting him down every week. But all right, let's talk the rest of week five, starting with the return to London. The uh, uh, Atlanta Falcons will be playing the New York Jets. Who you got? I got the Jets. Really? Okay. I'm I'm going to go Falcons. I Honestly, both teams are bad. I could see it going either way, but I think – I think I'm going to go with the Falcons. Uh, New Orleans Saints versus the Washington football team. This was a tough one for me, but I think I'm going to go Saints. I'm going Washington. Green Bay Packers taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. I want my boy Joe Burrow to destroy this Packers defense, but I still got Packers winning. Minnesota Vikings hoping to get on the winning side of things against the Detroit Lions. I think they make it happen. I got Vikings. I got Vikings. Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Denver Broncos. Apparently, Teddy Bridgewater is okay. Um, I'm still not sure if he's going to be playing, but either way, I, I'm going to go Steelers. I'm running Broncos. Tennessee Titans. Your Titans play the Jacksonville Jaguars. As we all know, this is typically a game where Derrick Henry freaking dominates and A.J. Brown is coming back. I like the Titans in this game. I have Titans, but I also will say if we lose to the Jags, I am not doing the show next week. I understand. I 150,000% understand. All right, uh, Carolina Panthers versus the Philadelphia Eagles. While this game could be interesting, I still got Panthers. Yeah, I got Bay Buccaneers taking on the Miami Dolphins. I got Bucks. Yeah, I got Bucks. New England Patriots versus the Houston Texans. I'm going Patriots. Hey. All right, Los Angeles Chargers versus the Cleveland Browns. This game has potential to be pretty interesting. Even still, I'm going to go Chargers. Las Vegas Raiders taking on the Chicago Bears. Shout out to Justin Fields for getting a win last week. I don't think it happens this week. I got Raiders. I guess Las Vegas. 
Arizona Cardinals taking on the San Francisco 49ers. I'm going Cardinals. Dallas Cowboys in my least favorite matchup of the season, well, every season, versus the New York Giants. I don't think it's going to be a good game. I got Cowboys. The most overhyped rivalry in sports, I got Cowboys. All right, now talking about a much better game, the Buffalo Bills are being hosted by the Kansas City Chiefs Sunday Night Football. I know everybody's down on the Chiefs. They don't believe in the Chiefs, but I'm not counting out the Chiefs. I got Kansas City, and I don't think it's going to be that close of a game. That is a fact. All right, Monday Night Football, my Baltimore Ravens taking on the Indianapolis Colts. I know the Colts are probably feeling themselves a bit for getting their first win, but I'm riding with Baltimore. And it's Haloti not again inducted to the Ring of Honor, so it's got to be Baltimore. All right, let's talk the players we're looking forward to watching. Offensively, I'm going to say Trey Lance. It's his first career start, and it seems like the Cardinals are already kind of counting him out. Marcus Golden. Uh, one of their uh, linebackers said, Trey Lance ain't no Kyler Murray. Well, show them you don't got to be Kyler Murray. Be Trey Lance and potentially set them on fire. Defensively, I'm watching Joey Bosa, like we mentioned with Baker Mayfield's shoulder. You never really know how it's going to go. He got in the backfield quite a bit to frustrate uh, Derek Carr, and Derek Carr was healthy. We'll see what he does on Sunday against Cleveland. And then my rookie is Kyle Pitts. Calvin Ridley's not playing. We have yet to really see Kyle Pitts show why he was such a hyped-up tight end prospect, arguably the best pass catcher of this draft. This should be the perfect opportunity for him to show that. And then I'm calling out the Chiefs just because, like I said, I still fear the Chiefs. I still think the Chiefs are one of the best teams in the AFC, and I think that this is a perfect time to remind everybody in prime time. Oh, they already played. That's right. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, uh, actually, I'm watching, uh, I'm watching whoever plays quarterback for the Denver Broncos. That's fair. Because whether it be Teddy B or whether it be someone else, I think that they, they're going to be in for a tough matchup. I think they just, I think it's a wonderful game. But I also can see it being a game where they finally lose, take like take another hill. And defensively, I'm watching the Titans. Like there's no other. Like I'm sorry, but it's like I hate it because we got so much. We have talented players, but it's like we can never put together a solid defensive game to win a to win a like make a game night stressful. Like, why? We have Jeffrey Simmons. We have Kevin Bayard. You know, Christian Fulton has been playing great. We have have decent linebackers. Why can't we just, you know, win a game and we only hold it up on the play 14 points? Why does everything have to be like high 30s, mid 20s? It's stressful. I agree. All right, what rookie? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I'm watching Matt Jones. I want to see how she, what she's going to do to bounce back from probably having his best game as a pro. I want to see if he's going to be 
That's understandable. And if I had to pick between liking the Chiefs or the Bills more, I'm going to say the Chiefs. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA, starting off with congratulations to Pau Gasol, who this week announced after a basketball career that included 19 NBA seasons, winning Rookie of the Year in 2002, six All-Star Game selections, and two championships. My main man, Pau, is retiring and like Kobe said, he will be getting his jersey retired by the Lakers. I know Pal Gasol hasn't really been like Pal Gasol in years, but for a long time he was my fa- one of my favorite players. So I'm happy to see him finally get his due. I could definitely see that. I think he's not done. I feel like he'll never really be done with the game of basketball, even if he's not playing it. I think that, especially compared to him and Mark, I think he'd be the one who will probably go into coaching and continue to stick around it. But, all right, let's talk about the players who are still in the league. And there are some interesting names who are expected to see some expanded roles. Starting off, let's go with the least assuming one, uh, Denzel Valentine, former um, Chicago Bull who is now with the Cleveland Cavaliers. His head coach, J.B. Bickerstaff, had some really good things to say about him um, and with him coming over and said, Denzel has the pedigree to be that guy we're looking for, a guy that has that grit, who has that toughness, and who has that versatility. Let's take things over to the West Coast and let's talk about James Wiseman who described his rookie year and said, we were in a pandemic, we didn't have fans, and I got thrown right into the fire. I'm going to be way better this year. And then finally, we all know it was a highly publicized signing, the Los Angeles Lakers signing Carmelo Anthony, where his head coach, Frank Vogel, said he's going to have a significant role with our group. He's going to have a big role on our team. So, Ethan, of Denzel Valentine, Carmelo Anthony, and James Wiseman, who are you expecting to have the biggest 2021-2022 season? He's going to get moments where he's going to shine 
the clock back and he'll have like 20 picks and they win a game. But I think because of James Wiseman, his predicament of like, his rookie year was a, predict, a pandemic year where he didn't get to go through summer league. He didn't get to go through like an actual training camp. He has all of those opportunities. Yes, I believe he missed summer league because of injury. But I think now he'll be able to look back at what he saw this past year and learn from that and learn from just being around the guys and trying to count this year. Yeah, I think it's weird with James Wiseman because of the three, I think he definitely has the most potential. But I'm still – it would not shock me if tomorrow I heard he ended up getting traded because the Warriors were like, we want to bring in another, like, superstar player or at least a star caliber player so it would not shock me if he was traded but consider if he was to say in that same situation i i think i'd still go james wiseman i mean just because it's a really good situation for him considering the other offensive weapons especially if clay is able to come in there and still play or at least play close to the level that he was playing at before he got hurt that would be amazing and so I think that that would really help create opportunities for James Wiseman because he'd be like that unassuming option. Everybody else is so focused on the, you know, the backcourt and what the Splash Bros are going to do. And even Andrew Wiggins to where it's going to open up a lot of things for James Wiseman. He can have potentially the rookie year that we expected him to have a year ago. So I would agree with you on James Wiseman. But let's talk about things that not many people are going to agree with, and that is Sports Illustrated's top 10 NBA players ahead of the season. So I'm going to run down the list and we're going to talk about what we agree with and what we disagree with. So starting off with number one is KD, two is Giannis, three is LeBron, four is Steph, five is Nikola, six is Luka, seven is James Harden, eight is Embiid, nine is AD, and 10 is Kawhi Leonard. For me, the first thing I would do is I would change Damian Lillard for Kawhi Leonard. Not because Kawhi Leonard is not as talented enough to be a top 10 player in the league, but because he's going to miss most of the season anyway. And I think that Damian Lillard has proven that he is undoubtedly a top 10 player in this league. So I would switch Dame and Kawhi. I would move Luka down. I mean, not Luka. I would move Nikola down. I would put, I don't, I'm not saying I would put Embiid from eight to five, but I would put him over Nikola and I'll put him over James Harden. So I'd probably go Luka six. Embiid seven, no, yeah, Embiid seven, Harden eight, yeah, yeah. Those are like the biggest ones I changed. With, with regards to the top three, I think that LeBron and Steph could probably switch, but even still, it's fine. But those are like the biggest moves I would make. Um, first I would take Anthony Davis out and put Damian Lillard, Damian Lillard. Yeah, 
I would agree with that. But I will say this. This is not the absolute worst list that I have ever seen. But, uh-huh. yeah. But it's just a few changes. I mostly agree with the people there. Just would change their positions a bit. Uh, speaking of changing some positions, Charles Barkley talked about this upcoming season and listed the top three teams going into the year. He said the Lakers, uh, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Milwaukee Bucks. Do you agree that they are the top three teams in the league, and how would you rank them? I'll say I agree. I feel like for the Lakers, it's more so we're just trusting what they have in LeBron and AD and then just believing everything else that's on paper. Honestly, I feel like if the 76ers were able to pull off a Dame trade, I would put them in the top three, but that didn't happen. So I would I would agree with Chuck, and then I would, in terms of ranking them, I would say Nets, Bucks, and then Lakers. Yeah, I agree with you with everything, because, I mean, the hard part about the Lakers is, like, they have great talent, but they just got assembled. And we all know that Right. So yeah, going in though, I would that would probably be I'd I'd be inclined to agree. But all right, let's play a game of believable or buffoonery before the we wrap this bad boy up. Starting with the Minnesota Timberwolves, who they've been bad for so long, and it's clear that everybody in that locker room is hoping to change the uh, culture there. Josh Okoge talked about the team and said, you just get a sense that everybody here is just tired of losing. I'm tired of losing. Everybody, we're all on the same page. Believable or buffoonery, this will be the season with the roster that the Timberwolves have now that the Timberwolves make it back in the playoffs. I'm calling buffoonery, but I respect their I respect their passion. No, I don't think so. I think, uh, I think they might be, they might put up more fight. Yeah, but I, I respect the hustle. Moving on to a team that not only made the playoffs but made it all the way to the finals, the Phoenix Suns, who seem to have reached a bit of an impasse with former number one overall pick DeAndre Ayton. Adrian Woj, Wojnarski said this, uh, the Phoenix Suns' reluctance to offer a maximum rookie deal contract extension to former number one pick DeAndre Ayton Aiden has stalled discussions, hence meaning that right now he's not getting a deal. Other 2018 draft class members who were extended were the likes of Trey Young, Luca, Shy, and Michael Porter. Aiden is eligible for a five-year, $172 million deal with escalators that could take it to 207 mil. Believable or buffoonery, the Suns are making the right move not giving DeAndre Aiden a max deal. I'm going to say believable. I think they're doing the right thing because right now he's not – I'm sorry, but he's not – he's their third best player, but even at their third best player, it was a lot of times when he was just kind of there. Like he made, definitely made more noise in the playoffs, but it was clear like he's one of those stop-and-start guys. The other guys who are mentioned, there's no doubt that they're their team's best option or they get themselves going. For DeAndre, I don't really see that same ability. Even one 
That's a whole lot of money to tie into somebody who's a bit of a question mark. Because I feel like after Chris Paul leaves, I think that because they're going to know the value of having such a pivotal tight end, I mean not tight end, point guard, they're going to try to put that money forth bringing in another pivotal point guard. They're going to try to um, keep their guard play as the best as they can. And so I could definitely see that money going elsewhere as opposed to DeAndre Ayton. All right, but let's talk about uh, Paul George, who has clearly made his money and possibly going to make even more this year. As I mentioned earlier, Kawhi Leonard is going to be out for most of the season coming off that knee injury. And PG said he's ready for that challenge of being the number one guy. He said, I'm ready for the fight this year. I've been in this position, so it gives me a level of comfort being the number one guy to start. Believable or buffoonery, Paul George is going to have his best year yet. Um, in the twenty in the games where Kawhi Leonard did not play last season, he averaged twenty six point seven points, seven and a half rebounds, and shot forty four percent from the field. I think it's unbelievable simply because he he it's not um it won't be a struggle or foul trouble like there was games where Paul George had it going and Kawhi won't have it going. Now it's solely like hey. Yeah, I think so too, especially because it kind of goes back to having a chip on his shoulder of wanting to show I can still be that top guy. It's not that Kawhi is really carrying me. Like, I'm still a baller. I just so happen to play with Kawhi Leonard, and that kind of lessens a bit of his opportunities. But yeah, I think that there is definitely some belief into it. And I think that this could prove to be a really big year and allow a lot of opportunities for Paul George to be that guy. How far they will get with him being their guy, that remains to be seen. But he could definitely do it. All right, last piece. Let's talk some AI, because who doesn't like talking about Allen Iverson? Well, it seems that he's kind of changed his stance on not wanting to coach. And in an interview with Taylor Rooks, he said, I've been retired, what, 11 years? I don't know how I'm not a part of that coaching staff. He added, even if it's as a consultant, I will be the happiest in the world. And the money thing ain't even got nothing to do with it. Believable or buffoonery. One day we will see Allen Iverson as a part of the Philadelphia 76ers coaching staff or at the very least their front office. He was one of those people that brought the 
Yeah, I agree. Just because he means so much, not only to the NBA, but like even just looking at the 76ers, he has meant so much to that organization. It seems like no matter who the top guy is in Philly, the standard bearer is AI. You're always going to be compared to what AI did in his time. Sure, he didn't bring a championship to that team, but he took a team that looking back at that roster had no business being in the finals to the finals and beat what at the time one of the greatest Lakers teams of all time so the way that he was able to really help transcend that organization and really put things in perspective I think that that's going to be something that a lot of players can respect and I feel like while Doc Rivers is definitely a players coach and someone that um everyone really respects I think that bringing in AI will really help kind of speak to those younger guys too because he can relate to them on more of a human level he understands what it's like kind of be that not I'm not gonna say black sheep but kind of just being different want to do things differently as opposed to what the media or what you know the journalists or even what the team wants you to be I think that he would be a really nice um a really great player to have especially because just because he's been there before he's been there and done that and I think that because of not just what he's been able to do in his professional career but in his personal life would also make him a great role model to have around that team but all right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out thexreport.net. I repeat, thexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow Xreport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, anything you want to add before we close out this bad boy? Uh, go Tigers. Go Titans. Can I just get some W this weekend? I get it. Last week, last Saturday was rough because both my Tigers lost. Hopefully this week will be different. So go Tigers go and go Tigers. And Baltimore, I'm loving what we're doing right now. Let's keep doing it. I respect the Colts' defense to an extent. And honestly, their offense is a whole different story. Handle our business and let's just get dubs. Let's just have a great weekend. But hope you guys have a great weekend as well. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.